You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Andrea is Busy, and Andrea is Busy Again. Uh, this week we have Kenny and myself here to Kenny and I, I guess, yeah, I to talk about Kenny, Kenny and I to talk about uh, a few listener questions that we got this week to fill everyone in on what is going on with us, which probably isn't too terribly much, and really just make sure that your ear holes are full of something to listen to. Um, so uh, what's new with you, Kenny? Uh, unfortunately, I don't have anything crazy exciting to talk about. At least I don't think I do. Done some very normal riding. Uh, my bike is still awesome. Everything works great. Uh, man, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, we have the 12 Hours of Stanky Creek coming up this weekend which is pretty cool. Weather is, eh, it's a little bit sketchy. So we'll see how that plays out. And what else is going on? See, we talked about endurance race last episode. I don't think I've done any other racing since then. Yeah. Just kind of some normal riding. Everything is, uh, everything's good. We've been really like unseasonably busy at the shop. Just people getting kind of like end of the season overhauls and stuff, which is, yeah, it's good and bad. It's just, yeah busy yeah we have we have been pretty steady as well Uh, lots of people trying to get prepped up to do some you know last hoorah before ski season or get fat season or whatever they do comes about so they're going to moab or fruta stuff like that um i think what happens uh here is the snow falls up high um, so it's already snowed over ten thousand. Um and people are like oh god it's about to happen again. And they're like, they're like, shit, I got to go ride my bike now. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So is there, has it snowed yet at just like regular level? No, it's been, it was frosty the other morning, but that's as close as we've gotten. Now our 10 day forecast uh, today was, today was really nice. I did a bunch of stuff in the yard and around the house and uh, kept the windows open a little bit to try to air the house out. Just, you know, uh, there's no, very little heat running now and, and no air conditioner at this house. Uh, when it's this nice outside, it gets really stuffy because the, the like swamp cooler doesn't need to run and, or AC or anything. So things get a little stuffy. Um, so I tried to air the house out. It was like 70 today, but, uh, the 10 day has like 55 and stuff like that. And, and maybe even some forties for highs. Um, so I think that this was sort of our, our last little oomph, of warmth and i think we're going to kick over to some for real chilly like overnight lows are supposed to be in the upper 20s for the the 10 day forecast i think so okay. so is all the front range stuff still rideable 100 percent, awesome, awesome rideable um very cool the thing though is is i think that starting now we're gonna see uh so karen jarko posted today that her and jeff went out and tried to get in their i don't know what they called it like uh, I don't remember, but they live up in Eagle, and Eagle's only a little higher than here. It's like 6,600, but it's right down in the valley, so they have big mountains like kind of all around them. Um, and it was like 
maybe Karen shared something that Jeff posted. But anyways, what it was was like, oh, first snowstorm of the year is coming. Went out and rode these trails before they're closed for the year. And I think they were more talking about their up high trails, not their down low trails. Um, yeah. So everything, long way of putting it, everything that's going to be, you know, lower is going to be open for a while. But the precipitation that we get in the next week, even though it's all going to be liquid, we're not going to have 70 and 80 degree days burning it off anymore, I don't think. Gotcha. But we can probably survive for a while because it's really like everything is just like powdery. Um, Sorry, there's an ambulance driving by. Whoop, whoop. The whistles go woo. Yeah, somebody fucked up. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, I do have something. I'm going to jump into it if it's cool. Man, someone really fucked up. There are a ton of them coming by. So right into tech stuff, I did something pretty cool. Or I thought it was pretty cool. Maybe it's not cool. I have no idea. Uh, I'll let you guys decide. But regardless, I've never been a huge fan of the Niner Jet 9 RDO cable routing. So it's a tiny, tiny bit better on the rear derailleur because it actually comes out of the uh, down tube as opposed to the original one that like tried to like snake all through uh, seat stays and it just it didn't work. Oh, you mean it comes out of the down tube where side, sweep, side swing has to come out? <laughs> yeah, so what I did, um, this is... Uh, somebody's bike you know you will know who this is but we don't have to mention names regardless it's somebody who puts a ridiculous amount of miles on their stuff like ridiculous amount of miles oh yeah and anyway and uh this uh this person has a jet 9 rdo and has ridden the crap out of it and it's been a very good bike great bike i still like the jet i think it's a good bike but i just don't like their cable routing it's as simple as that so what i did i just kind of noodled on it and i just went for it and it worked out really well and it might sound really basic, but it, it just really works well. So I did a uh, – this person likes to get a ton of range, so they run uh, 2x10 and uh, just had regular Shimano stuff on there. Shifted fine. All that was good. But I went ahead and put a side swing front derailleur on it. And so basically you've got the brake line on the – uh, non-drive side of the bike and it follows the uh, down tube which is you know so kind of like a Santa Cruz or a whole heck of a lot of other full suspension bikes and it's got a nice external three little zip tie mounts for your brake line so I piggyback the front side swing derailleur piggyback that on the brake line and it's got a really nice sweeping uh, line to it there's no kinks no nothing goofy the bottle cage fits just fine. It clears the shock with like a solid half inch of clearance where it can like never, no matter how you do things, it'll never actually touch the rear shock, which is great. Uh, and then I run a full run housing piggyback that on top. So you got three cables all going down the down tube uh, for then the rear derailleur ends up being a full run housing. So nothing in the frame at all. Uh, I'll put, I'll put some pictures up on, uh, on the old Twitter. And so I have a question for you. Yes. Um, I wanted to go somewhere good with this side swing two by yes. 10. Uh huh. Are you running the shifter as a double? Yes. You have to really crank the tension up to do that. Don't you? You know what? I noticed I did. Uh, do you, did you find that you actually have to put it 
Put it back in the triple because the first shift pulls more cable and it'll work uh-huh. better. Interesting. Now, that's really good advice. I noticed that and I'm like, huh, it's real interesting. I got it to work and it works pretty well. But I noticed just that. I'm like, huh, it's not quite as as snappy as Shimano front shifting typically is, um, which is interesting. And there's not any like serious cable rub or anything goofy going on there. But yeah, that's a really good. I'll try that. Is that actually what Shimano recommends or is that just something that you figured out? Um, I won't take credit for it. Uh, so the guys from Shimano, the engineers came by the shop and uh, they were being very um, foreign. Um, and the guys were being a little quiet and, and uh-huh. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And it was like, any problems? And like, you know, they were talking through normal problems like, oh, some of the new XCR brakes don't work at all out of the box. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you shouldn't see problem. Like, you know, just very, sure. not, just downplaying everything. And then like one of our very quiet mechanics who's, you don't want him to talk to customers. You want him to work on your bike. You don't want him to talk to customers. Um, he like, now, I didn't – what I witnessed comes into the story now, but the lead-up was he was explaining that the three-by setting works much better than the two-by setting. And they were like, mm, no. And he was like, yeah, it does. Uh, when you put it in two-by, you have to run like a ton of cable tension, and it's like really hard. Like it's 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 lever-field nasty to get it to shift to the big ring and back, but – the three by works a lot better because, you know, that one pulls a little more cable, which is why it didn't really work for the original two by derailers. And the guy was just like, no. And like, I see this dude walk out onto the sales floor, like on a mission. And he grabs a bike off the sales floor and like walks back into the back with it on a mission. And I walk back into the back like a few minutes later and like, here's Joel with like, three Japanese dudes crowded around and he's like shifting this fuel EX and he's like, see, it works so much better now. And, um, the, the whole story is he showed him how in the two by position, if you pull the cable tension tight by hand, then you have to crank the barrel adjuster way out and it like shifts. But in the three by position, you can like pull it by hand and then do your normal, like amount of adjustment. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I caught almost third hand, if you will. Um, and I haven't done it myself, but like, that's been, that's a mechanic that doesn't like do stupid stuff. Um, like he's not like, Oh, ghetto tubeless. It works fine on these wheels. He's just like, Hmm, no, uh, you shouldn't He's absolutely right. It's literally been one of the, it's the only one I've done with a quote, 10 speed shifter. I'm wondering if somehow, I wonder if the 11 speed shifter even though it's just a front shifter, so it's not really 11 speed. But I wonder if like the 8,000 and 9,000 series shifters, I wonder if they maybe pull a little bit different because this is a 10-speed XTR. Uh, well, it's a very, ni- very nice shifter, and it you, I had it in the 2 by position using that little adjuster, and I had it in a traditional derailleur, and that thing shifted absolutely 100% perfect, no rub. I mean, it's, you know, like... Oh no! Perfect shifting. Oh Man, no! Somebody is like, someone really, really, really jacked it up. There's ambulance going nuts. Anyway, it works perfectly on the on the old two by traditional swing derailleur. But then this one, I, just like you're saying, I put it in the two by uh, position on the shifter, like I would assume you're supposed to, and it 
it just eh, and it works it works but it's not that shimano awesome front derailleur feel so yeah that's really good i'll try that i'll put it in the three by because i just did it uh a couple days ago and the bike's still there so i'll i'll give that a shot yeah do and uh if you can make a note and let me know next week if it was better worse the same because i haven't had a chance to lay my hands on it but the person that was preaching it to the shimano guys i like would let him work on my bike and then i talked to our service manager about it who i mean he's he's just like you i mean he's built his own like cars and all this stuff and he's just like yeah i don't i don't know why they messed that up so bad but it works so much better as the little to middle ring shift as three by rather than the two by or middle to big ring shift yeah yeah um, um, but anyway, I'll post a picture for you guys to check it out. So if anybody's got a jet and you're just kind of – you're still running because um, it actually works better. This way works better cable routing-wise if you actually have the front derailleur because then it gives a perfect little path for the rear derailleur cable to follow. So you don't have to deal with like hitting your rear shock or having to affix it to like a, a bottle cage or a bottle cage bolt or something like that. You'll see in the pictures – and it perfectly, I use zip tie it to the front derailleur side swing cable. And yeah, it works great. It just, it's amazing. On that particular bike, it just works. It's awesome. Um, so there's not, the bars don't have as much like tension when you, when you just swing them free, which is awesome. And you don't have all the cables clanking around in the down tube, which is great. Um, yeah, like pluses everywhere. It, it's, it's how, Niner should have done it, and yeah, I wish people would quit being vain with darn internal routing, dude. So my uh, what do you call that bike? My Crave, all external, love it. Yeah, this Superfly that I have is an older one, all external, love it. It's just like it's dialed in. It's like, oh, check it out. Um, I want to add a dropper post. Let me cut these three zip ties off and put three new zip ties on. Yeah, with another cable held into the bunch. Uh, it's it's really simple and really easy. Uh, Internal routing doesn't do anybody any good ever. It is never it has never been good for any anything ever. It's just the dumbest ass thing. I mean, it's really good for. Well, no, it isn't even really good for dropper posts because if internal routing didn't exist, RockShop would have made a reverb that works like KS. Yeah, exactly. Just like make, it, make it work like a KS, and all your damn problems are solved. Because then you can't take your damn seat post out of the bike. Um, you have to like un- you have to cut zip ties and all this other kind of crap, and take a whole bunch of slack out at the bar, so you can just pull your damn seat post out. And God forbid you actually need to take your seat post out, and you have to break the whole system. And anyway, just oh, are I we talking about how how reverb shook? No, we're talking no. about how. Internal routing has never helped anyone ever, not yeah. even once. Not I think even it looks bit. good for for drop posts. Right, but it Sorry, doesn't add any value to them, and it just makes things much harder to deal with. And Kenny was saying that you can't even remove your seat post for shipping. Uh, you know, and and it's really tough on us as uh, bicycle retailers because you have a customer that wants to take their new bike home right now. Um, and you have a customer that wants to see a bicycle that looks properly assembled, but how do you compensate for someone that has, you know, let's just say a three-inch seat height variance on a bike 
how do you compensate for that when you build it? Do you build it for the tall person and then need to cut it for the short person? Or do you build it for the short person and then the tall person, their housing is like straight line tight? You know, it's just... Oh, yeah, that's, that's we a build really it good question. At a, well, I can, I can tell you because I've, I've built a few bikes in the past couple week, couple weeks with dropper posts. We just leave it... Basically, I set the seat height at about... Um, I don't know, like kind of, I mean, you would have to be like abnormally disproportionate and be kind of expecting that you wouldn't, like that something might have to be changed with your bike. Like you'd have to be kind of abnormally like long-legged, um, but basically kind of put the seat up about as high as it would go as far as like what would make sense for that bike and someone of the size that would ride that bike and then make the housing appropriate for that. You know, it pretty much leave the housing long. And then when someone picks up their bike, um, that's just part of like the out the door process is just uh, making it, you know, shortening it up some. God, that sounds like so much awesome. So you get to it's, like, it's put not this... really that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It's dumb as shit. They shouldn't do it. I just set up a, I built somebody's uh, Trek. Oh, God, what was it? It was a Trek Fuel EX something or yeah other. yeah and it it's, had a, that it's shitty, a 27 and a half and it was like that was such a it had like a shitty ks post on it no it had a reverb oh okay i don't so, know yeah. i mean it doesn't also really uh, internal dropper posts don't bother me at all i think they look nice i don't mind sizing and changing the line the reverb is annoying if if it doesn't have the little i mean the connection connect a jig thing works okay that that does kind of suck I, i'm not really a huge fan of reverbs but I don't know, like KS and everything. I I just that just does, it doesn't bother me. I don't I don't mind them at all. I was pissed. I had to use the little damn red anodized doohickey thing and like <laughs> find an find an old cable and tie all that shit together. And you know, I had to go fishing and go pull shit through and <laughs> um, you know. And then before I did any of that stuff, I had to go fitter on the bike to make sure that I'm cutting the seat post to the right size. And if like one of her buddies wants to ride it or something like that, you literally cannot move the seat post at all. If you move it one millimeter, the thing will explode because every, <laughs> everything is all zip tied in there and it's all real tight bends. And God, it's just a dumb, it's just a dumbass thing. It pisses me off. Well, Oh, well, um, I mean, I'm, this is something that we're not going to change. People are going to continue to make them. Uh, oh yeah. I think internally routed hydraulic, like rear hydraulic lines kind of suck. That's ridiculous. All too, internally man. routed lines are fucking stupid. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Yeah. I don't care who you are or what you're doing. You do not need internally routed lines. If it's a road bike and it's all internal, it's probably aero and it won't hold a tire that's 28 and you can't ride it on gravel and it's a bitch bike and you shouldn't <laughs> fucking get it. You can ride any size tire on gravel. Not the gravel I want to go on at the speeds I want to go on. Okay. You can't descend Crawford Gulch like hell on 23s. <laughs> no, you can't. All right, so we you have You can't a, do that on a mountain bike, by the way. Yeah, you can. You can descend the <laughs> shit out of it. I descended it on my CAD 10 like I was a... Like, it was dumb. It was really dumb. Okay. I didn't tie, though. Uh, we have a oh, ton of... What? I've got I've got something else really random. I don't think I talked about this before. Maybe I did. So you can bitch at me if I already talked about it. So uh, at Interbike, I uh, I won a Brompton. 
No, you did not. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, so how's the uh, 50cc retrofit going for that? Oh, man. So I've got a uh, – it should be here, uh, I think, this week or something. Oh, my God. Will so, you... yeah, I won a Brompton. I signed up for a thing. And I like I won a Brompton. Will you do me a favor? Yeah. At some point, I'll pay shipping both ways. Will you mail it to me and let me ride it for like a month? <laughs> sure. Go I'm, nuts, man. I'm dead serious. I have like a nine-mile commute to work, and I would love to do that and see just how it feels on a Brompton. Oh, God. It would probably miles. be sketchy as hell. It's got like 16-inch wheels or something. Dude, I know. You have it, bike parking. You don't need a folding bike at you your job. You don't miss – you're missing the point here. Also, so. uh, there's real hills here, so I could descend at like 25, and I'd be like – Dying. Like what happened to Matt? Be like, oh well, uh, his Brompton handlebars folded while he was riding, and he. Oh died. man, there's a really funny video on YouTube of people shredding on Bromptons. I've seen it, and it's um, actually like I have to say, I, it was like mildly impressive to me because I understand like, like how sketchy it is. Razor scooters. Yeah, well, like same thing. I'm impressed by that because I, I get on a razor scooter and I hit one of those little sidewalk cracks and I bust my face open. You should so, wear your full face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But these guys were just kind of going pretty big. They were doing like, you know, 10 and 15 stair drops to flat on Bromptons. And I'm like, oh, God, it's going to break any second. <laughs> Is that the one where the dude's bell keeps like auto ringing when he drops big shit? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I love it. Yeah, it's funny, though, because, yeah, it was a bunch of British guys shredding in london on bromptons oh god uh it was great so yeah i got a brompton if anything else i think it'd be really cool if i do nothing else with it but keep it in my car like i'll just keep it folded up and put it in my trunk and then you get somewhere like you go to some event and you're like oh man it's like far to walk or something like i'm like oh shit i got i got a brompton and you could <laughs> I like unfold it and go ride it somewhere i don't know it could be kind of fun so what's more likely is kenny's like oh man i got bored at the bar new you, bar bike and you go into the parking lot and you ride wheelies in the bar parking lot yeah yeah exactly so anyway kind of cool i've never i've never really won anything like that big it's kind of they're not cheap uh, pretty pretty cool Eight, 18 months from now, you'll see a Brompton on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to be a dick. I mean, if they're going to... 18 cool months, enough, Kenny. That's not being a dick. Yeah, being a well, dick would be not unboxing it. Oh, no, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I understand a year later or something, but um, no, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be that guy. If they're going to be nice enough to, <laughs> I would. you know, to throw me a Brompton, I'm, I'll at least, um, I'll throw them some, I'll throw them some social media and... Some uh, bad publicity when you tell everyone <laughs> how much it fucking sucks. No, I'll go ride around. I'll give it a legitimate try. I mean, it's pretty cool. So I'm not. Um, I have no compelling reason to uh, to get rid of it or anything like that. But yeah, I'll I'll post some pictures of it when I get it. It's supposed to be lime green <laughs> with uh, with all black parts, which is kind of cool. Um, anyway, I'll uh, you guys can go on. I will. I'm posting the jet cable routing pictures to uh, the Twitter. Okay. All right, so we have a few questions this week. Uh, we'll dig right into them. Donations? None. I, pe- I bet people are going to donate this week after you posted that uh, that really sexist photo of you with your bike. If anyone didn't notice, I've gotten like... So we've started the... Is we it broke se- Twitter. Is it sexist? And um, if it's sexist, I'm going to recreate the pose best that I can for free, so I'm not going to buy any clothing or anything to do it. Um but I'm going to wear the male version of everything that's in those in those pictures and recreate them. And uh, I've already gotten a ton of uh, suggestions for things to do. Apparently, people really want to see you posing 
partially clad with bikes. That's that's what it comes down to. So, um, and then one just fell right into my lap today because Reynolds Cycling sent out something where there's just it's like oh so and so makes our wheels and their custom kits look good and like you can barely read the like it's not one of those situations where the Reynolds logo is clocked so it's like perfectly legible it's like barely recognizable that it's a Reynolds wheel um, and it's it's just like photo white booth bullshit so um anyways uh there's gonna be lots more of that to come it's like a a pinup wheel photo sort of yeah so lots lots more of that to come so send money so uh i can eat and not uh be too skinny for those (laughs) um but to dig into the questions greg koenig 41 year old four years riding he lives in highland michigan hey jra looking for some advice on calming race day nerves i probably only do a couple of races a year. I'm an average rider, so my expectations are never high that I'm putting pressures on myself. I always enter in, into distances that I know I can do. But come race day, the start goes off, and it seems like my anxiety makes the endorphins peak, and I blow up super early. What do you guys do to keep the anxiety in check? Thanks for all the great info. Um, I mean, I can give you like I'll give you two quick answers. The first one will be a real answer. Or Man, the, Matt, Matt doesn't do anything. He just he just gives into the endorphins and blows no, up right I'll in give the you, beginning. I'll <laughs> give you two <laughs> two answers. The first one will be the smart ass answer. Don't do that. Um, Don't do that. The second answer will be uh, start training with some measurable metrics, whether it be heart rate or power, anything, um, and then follow it. If you and follow it to a degree. If you know the course and you know that there's a mile climb and your heart rate's, you know, three beats over what you want it to be, you know, a quarter of a mile from the top of that climb, I'm not saying, like, get off and walk because you're in your easiest gear. I'm saying, like, if you're 20 beats over where you should be, like, on a seven-mile climb in the first quarter mile of that seven-mile climb, you're going to have a bad time. Slow the hell down. Right. And that's that's the thing is, unfortunately, uh, I mean, you're still a fairly new rider in the grand scheme of things. Um, and you need to start using some of those metrics and getting a good depth of those metrics. And only after you have, and you need some recordable metrics. You, you'll have to use a, a smarter device like a Garmin or something. You won't be able to use like a cat eye that shows heart rate. Because you can't use that reflectively. You can't say, oh, God, like after the second aid station, like I just felt like shit. But if you if you don't have that reflective way to go back and look and see that like you were 15 beats heart rate over what you should have been for like the five miles before aid two, like you'll you, you don't get that like measurable knowledge again, reflective knowledge. Um, so next year. You know, you you have to fuck up some more, so you realize and measure what fucking up is, so you don't fuck up anymore. Um, I think that's solid advice. Um, I I will add to that and say that you get better at racing by racing more. So do more than a couple of races a year. Like get to where you can pack up and get ready for a race. Like it's like making breakfast before work. I mean, like. You just, you know exactly what you need. You know exactly what you're going to eat. You know um, exactly what to take with you, what you forgot last time. You know, like, just get better at everything about racing. Make it less of a big deal. Um, And that happens by just doing it more often. 
plus right. plus what Matt said. What right. Matt said, I, I'm just adding to what Matt said. I don't I don't think you should do one or the other. You should do both. So there you go. What do you think, Kenny? Um, I obviously think that you probably shouldn't do stupid shit, but at the same time, <laughs> it's probably not a bad idea. Don't be scared to make mistakes. I mean, know that what you're doing might be a mistake, but then just go down that rabbit hole, see where it goes. You know, if you're whatever, who cares? I mean, if you if you are riding in a race and you're at the beginning and you're riding with somebody who you really like the way they're taking lines, they're riding fast, whatever it is. Maybe your heart rate's kind of high, but you just say, screw it. Let's just see where this goes. And just just ride. Like, see what happens. What happens if you – well, I guess he already saw what happened. He blew up and, <laughs> right. and it, didn't, it didn't end well. So and I guess maybe the uh, thing for Greg is, is, is what Kenny's saying is very true. But if you're going up like the three-mile fire road climb with like – if you're riding your – and just to make it up, like your Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz like tall boy with like real tires – and you're going up the fire road climb beside the dude on Furious Fred's on like a uh, a, a Flash 29er who's wearing like a skin suit. Like it's probably a bad idea. Like if you're climbing with like the 20 year old like fully shaven dude, like <laughs> that might not be what you need to do if you're like 41 year old like avid recreational to high weekend warrior however you want to describe yourself to like avid like racer ish dude you probably don't need to climb with a bunch of dudes that are like fitter than a motherfucker well i i think what kenny is saying uh, there is some merit to that for sure um but it goes back to what matt said if you start taking some metrics like heart rate you know, Matt and I both use power meters, and that's a really, really useful one, um, though they are cost prohibitive compared to a heart rate monitor. Um, and there's a difference between, you know, like knowing that your lactate threshold is 160 beats per minute. And let's say, like, that person you want to follow, like what Kenny was saying, is doing a pace that makes you like 170. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a rabbit hole worth going down. But if you're doing like 190 to stay with that person, then it's just there's no way that's going to end well unless that person just like wrecks and doesn't take you out with them and they, you know, like quit the race. That's the only way you're going to beat them if they're making you go that far into your pain cave. So the, the metrics are really useful for knowing if it's a good idea to take a chance or not. So for me, I know something that I struggle with is that I mean, I really don't like going out hard in the beginning because it just, it never works out for me personally with my physiology and just, it just doesn't work for me. So I've learned after feeling like shit later in a race, I just, I don't go out crazy hard. I definitely go out hard, but I don't, I just don't go. And and you know what crazy hard is for Kenny Charles (laughs) because you've looked before. Um, so you know, I just don't. I just try not to do that. That's one thing that I've definitely learned over and over again. Is you know, thoroughly warm up and like ignore, especially in endurance races. Cross country is different. In endurance races, I've learned over and over and over again. Ignore the people around you in the beginning, because ninety five percent of them are dumb as shit. That is very true. I've done amazing. a lot of endurance races and every that single is time. Very I see very all true. These people and you see people like flow around you on both sides on some road climb and uh-huh. i'm looking down at my heart rate and i'm at like you know i'm at high zone four low zone five or something 
and I'm like, wait a minute. These people are flying by me. I know I'm pushing hard. You know, instead of being dumb and trying to just go with those people, you just ignore it. You do your own thing. And then sure enough, hour three rolls along and these people are going backwards. All oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's stuff Drag like Drag an anchor. Yeah. So for me, one of the things that I struggle with is, okay, I went easy in the beginning of the race and then I can slowly either push the same pace or push a little harder towards the end. But something I haven't tried a lot of and I need to and I need to not be scared to make a mistake and, and blow up and ruin a race. But I need to see how hard I can push in the middle and the end of a race. Like push a lot harder than I think is comfortable and kind of see where that rabbit hole goes because I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's that kind of stuff is what I'm getting at is don't be scared. Definitely know, learn from your mistakes and don't do that same thing again. But then if there's some other facet of the race that you haven't explored yet, then try it. I mean, don't be scared to, again, if you, if you realize you blow up in the beginning and you take it easy, then figure out what happens later in the race. You know, how, how late can you push? How hard can you push? And just see what happens there. Yeah. If you pace yourself well, you will swamp people the last, you know, quarter of the race. Well, you know, and and then maybe finishing move on this for me is if you're, nearing the end of a fire road climb that you know goes into single track and there's a bunch of people around you that you know you can outride you need to burn you, that it's worth no, burning that match I don't even want to say burn a match you need to you need to like try to strike that match a little bit like half-heartedly like dig in just a teeny bit it's not even burning a match as much as it's just like getting out of the woods in front of them because you know five corners later you can slow down a little slower than you would normally go on single track because these people have already wadded it up behind you or they're floundering so hard you can go a teeny bit slower than you normally would and actually recover from what you just did. It's not a situation where you're going to have to dig and then return right back to where you were. You can dig and then start single track and just like chill. Well, and that's that's that uh, strategies like that are things that you learn from race experience, and you don't get enough experience only racing twice a year. Right. So, Dean Jensen from Minnesota, who is a frequent contributor, recurring MBR member, and frequent purchaser of recently uh, purchased of, of swag and whatnot, um, has a quick question about our favorite not brakes. He doesn't care. It's a quick question, anyways. With old and new brake pads side by side, I see very little difference. Are the old ones worn, or are they worth keeping as a spare? Or sorry, are the old ones worn? Are the old ones worth keeping as a spare, or are they shot? What do pads look like when they're done? Thanks, thanks for the help with the basics. I guess it does matter that it's an avid elixir. Um, that when they when they're done, they look like there's not much pad material left. Well, I wanted to say. Two things. If your pads look very similar and the old pads didn't work and the new pads do, the old pads were contaminated. Yeah, and they're just trash. Right. Um, you can do fancy stuff if you want to. The best option is suck it up. Brake pads are pretty cheap. Put new pads in there. If you're bored, you can take your old pads, and this really only works well with metal-centered pads of some kind. So Yeah, organic full, ones will pop, and like pieces of brake pad will go in your eye. Yeah, full organic ones, they start to smell, and they smoke, and they, do, they just do really funny things. But anyway, you can take a blowtorch, and you can heat up the pad 
uh, and you want to heat up the surface of the pad, not like the backing plate. But anyway, heat up the surface of the pad. I don't know. Eh. You just have to try it on your own and kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, you'll know if you uh, heat them up too much. <laughs> so <laughs> probably, I don't know. It's not much. It's 10 to 20 seconds. Kind of molten? Per pad. I mean, you don't need to go ballistic with it. And you'll see uh, real quickly, right as they start getting heat into them, all those contaminants will start to smoke. So don't be too concerned by that. But if it starts smoking on. way after that, then you're going to probably have an issue. When those things come out, you need to take your beer bong and put over the pad and huff all that smoke that comes off. Oh, God. You get you, high. I'm just kidding. You, you would get die. super cancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's the – he didn't say anything about contaminants, though. So for me, I would say brake pads are worn. If you have your brake pads out, you have an elixir pad in your left hand an elixir pad in your right hand and there's a little spring that goes in between them that makes a sandwich of them and my call on it is only when you have them out does this make sense but you'll see when you assemble everything that the spring hides a little bit of material i like to have that little bit of material plus a spring width of material showing inside of the spring if you're if you were told you need new brake pads and your brake pads are not near that, if they're closer to your your new pads than your than your pads than your backing plate plus two springs width, then you got hosed. I and think it, there's like an actual metric, like two millimeters or something worth of. Yeah, I have no idea what the left. metric is. Yeah, I, I there, there's just... one. There's one out there. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think what Matt is describing is very close to two millimeters of of pad material remaining when you change your pads. Yeah, I go pretty close to what Matt says as well. But I also have a heck of a lot of people come in. I would say it's very evenly split for me at the shop, and this is not just Avid. I mean, Shimano's are actually worse about it, unfortunately, with contamination. Don't know why, but regardless, fifty fifty. It's either they're plumb worn out like you're to the backing plate, like you don't have any material left. That's one aspect that I replace. And the other 50% are contaminated pads. And they could be brand spanking new. They could be thick, have tons of material on them, and they squeal and squawk. They make no power. They don't stop. Uh, and there's not much you can really do. Like you can, again, if you're really strapped or you're, you know, whatever, I don't know, if you're in the middle of nowhere and you've got like a camping stove and your brakes failing you know you could try to heat them up that kind of thing it yeah i've brought a few back to life and successfully used them for a while just for fun i'm kind of i'm owing oh, two on that trying to do that with uh, jonathan davis's brake pads yeah I, i've had quite a bit of success with it so I, i'm fairly confident that it works and i also do the same to the rotor uh, but heat heat is the only thing that's going to bring them back no amount of alcohol or brake clean or carburetor cleaner or anything that you would think would get rid of any kind of oil residue. It just doesn't work. I don't know why. It just doesn't work. But heat is the only thing I've seen that could possibly bring those suckers back to life. But again, it's just, eh, it's not even worth it in the end. They're so cheap, especially like the Shimano pads. If you have the organic aluminum back Shimano pads, they're 15 bucks retail each. Those are, that's so cheap. That's crazy cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's worth so, replacing. Yeah, yeah, quit being a baby and just put it in new pads if they squawk and squeal and don't make any power. Um, and, you know, if you want to keep a spare just in case for some weird thing, like especially with old Avids like Juicies and stuff, you could just be like riding and your brake pads fall out because that's what they do. <laughs> um, in that case, maybe you keep a spare. Um, you know, what what I do is 
Um, I definitely like to be prepared for stuff, and I'm inevitably the person that has to fix people's shit when it breaks, and people are generally unprepared. So I have in my toolbox one or two pads of every kind of break ever made, and I just have them there ready to go. And I've usually taken them off of customers' bikes because they were contaminated, and I went ahead and heated them up and just kind of kept them in the kept them in the background just in case I need to use them for an oh shit situation of some kind. So right, um, yeah, yeah. I just you can you can try it if you're bored is really what I'm getting at. I wouldn't take it as fact because it doesn't always work. And then organic pads, you have to be super, super careful with exactly how much heat you put in them because if you put too much in them, they actually catch on fire and like pieces, you know, Explode. big old chunks. Yeah, big old chunks fall out of them and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I guess the thing with, uh, especially in the cross country world, the reason this happens is um, we just don't generally get our brakes up to the temperature that like motorcycle brakes and car brakes and stuff naturally get to. And they kind of naturally burn off any of those contaminants because they get so darn uh, so darn hot. And that's but unless you're downhilling or something like that, or you're just an awful rider and you you know no, it, all the time. it it still doesn't. So even here in the front range and like on downhill bikes and stuff, we tell people you can't use anything on your brake pads, like disc brake pad, like brake cleaner for cars and stuff. Like we, this is something I've been told to help explain to people. Like that stuff leaves residue that we don't produce enough heat to burn off. So. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. Again, I've tried because I'm a curious person. I've tried everything under the sun. To you know, I filed off that top surface of it, soaked him in alcohol, soaked him in carburetor cleaner, which is like nasty shit. Yeah, um, you I would, wouldn't do that. You shit. would think I would think that carburetor cleaner because I've seen what carburetor cleaner does to other stuff. Um, it yeah. just it doesn't it doesn't work. I don't it know why it doesn't work. Everything. Yeah, but it just doesn't work on brake pads. Well, that's the big thing is carburetor cleaner may not be not removing the contaminant but it might be leaving behind a new contaminant so exactly, uh, the bottom exactly. line is if your pads look similar they're either contaminated or you got hosed at the bike shop um that's possible yeah what's the next question joe lee from new jersey he sent a question in before asking us about bikes, and he says, Hey, JR, JRA crew, thanks for the advice on my question about the commuter multi-use bike choice. Per your recommendation, I bought a Cannondale Slate and put a big-ass Bosch motor on it. <laughs> Just kidding. I had ridden a Roubaix, but I didn't like it. Thanks for pointing out the problems with them. I ended up going to a shop to ride a Salsa Warbird carbon that had Tram Rival Hydro. I left with a Focus Kyo 4.0 disc. Its carbon has good tire clearance and Tram Rival with Hydro brakes. For about 500 less than the equivalent Salsa or Niner BSB. Um, they included a fit with the price and everything is awesome. Um, he sends a link to the bike, which is a pretty solid build. And he says, shout out and much thanks to Halter Cycles in Skillman, New Jersey, uh, for all your help with the new bike. So uh, from what it sounds like, Joe likes his new Focus. If you want to focus and you live near Skillman, New Jersey, you should go talk to Halter Cycles because it sounds like they're no shit, no bullshit going to set you up, fit you up, and get you stoked on a Focus Kayo. Um, and I looked at this earlier today, and it's actually like a great-looking bike. Um, it's like a disc brake road bike that is pretty disc brake and roady. Um, I mean, it just it looks like a, a... Fun bike. Well, I mean, it just looks like real. Um, I mean, when I say that, uh, I didn't check this earlier cause I thought it was going to be 
oh, it doesn't give a size on the tires. But I was just curious. Like, it looks like it has big tires on it already. Like, yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's not aero at all. All right. That's what you care about. It's not aero. So, um, Joe, I'm glad you like your bike. I'm glad that you found something that you like. And I'm glad that we could help. So, Simon Clark from Pennsylvania. Hey. Dick the show, it's great ear candy for obsessed bikers like myself. I obviously love your rants and tech discussions. I've listened to almost every show. Absolutely love your rants. What did I say? Obviously. Oh, I absolutely, well, it's obvious. But I absolutely love your rants and tech discussions. I've listened to almost every show, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but I can't recall you guys and gal discussing how the fuck are some of these single-speed riders so fast and effective. (laughs) Part of me decided that some of these riders could ride a tricycle on a downhill course in place, but the other part says no way. It must be a cadence increase from single-speed type riding, fitness, skill combo, or something. I definitely became faster and of course lighter my f29 weighs 20.1 pounds Ooh, that point if you could drop 0.2 pounds it'd be under 20 uh my f29 when i switched my bikes to one by and keeping that theory can i be faster with single speed building one now we'll find out over winter i guess one last thing a couple of episodes ago matt i think mentioned his preferred one by setup any chance of repeating or emailing that again Thanks again, and love the show, Simon Clark from Pennsylvania. Single so we've we've definitely just... we've talked about this before in a little bit different light, and we basically said, and I'll I'll let Andrea uh, go down uh, whatever she's going to go with, but basically, <laughs> if you're really fast, you are going to be fast on anything. You can get like a bike with shit brakes, or you can get a bike they can put a, like a Suntour steel fork on there. It just doesn't matter because if you're really good, you can ride around those things. Obviously, everybody has a preference and nobody wants a bike that sucks shit. But if you're really, really fast, you can ride a heavy bike. You can ride a light bike. It can have 3x10. It can be single speed. It can be 2x11. It doesn't matter. Like Really, if you're that good, you're going to be good on anything. And I think absolutely at some point you should ride single speed. Because it teaches you things and teaches you a little different riding style, you know, conservation of momentum, which is what mountain biking is all about anyway. Uh, it definitely teaches you those things. But the fact that it's a single speed is not necessarily going to make you much faster or slower, really. So it, that's that's my take. So so the thing about single speed is it forces you to learn how to climb without a granny gear. Until you have to walk. And then it teaches you to be okay with walking occasionally. I mean, you just, it just, it happens. Like, I, I hear all the time people that freak out about a, the fact that they have to, like, walk a section of trail. And it's like, so? Who cares? Like, it's like 5% of the trail that you ride. Not even that much. Like, 1% of the trail you ride, you have to walk. Big freaking deal. I mean, that's that just doesn't matter. Um but yeah, it teaches you how to stand and climb. Um, and you, there are like 50 different ways that you can stand and climb. Maybe not 50, but there are a lot of different ways that you can stand and climb. And I've heard people say, oh, I can't stand and climb because it makes me blow up. No, you make yourself blow up when you stand and climb. Um, you can definitely climb in a way until until a certain point i mean there's definitely a certain 
like a tipping point of like steepness and technicalness and like how much you have to punch up sections of the trail and all that. But just a general, like a, you know, a 5% grade climb, like just climbing up something relatively simple like that. Like you can stand on your gear and climb up that and using your whole body and your body weight, you can do it without blowing up. And that is a very, very useful skill to have um, to transfer over to other bikes. Um, you know, so I think that's a big part of it. And then like Kenny said, concert conservation of momentum, like you, you just learn how to do that. You learn how to basically, you, I think it just makes you a more efficient rider. Like it's just a good skill to have, you know, it's not the end all be all like, Oh, if I get a single speed and ride it for a year, I'm going to be like, you know, a professional cyclist within a year. Like, but it is going to give you some good skills and good fitness um, that will carry over to when you get back on a geared bike. So I, that's that's what I say. Um, you know, it's it's definitely worth you know it's worth everybody trying single speed every now and then. I think there's I work with a dude who's this this is like we were talking about today. It's this is like when you you get the like that's pretty good for a girl like. I work with a dude who's 51 and he rides a single speed around here with a sort of a big gear for this area. And he, he rocks it. Like it's, it's pretty cool. I'm happy. It's it's pretty good for an old guy. Based on his gear size, I would assume that he walks with a limp. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's all right. Indy's waking up. I got to put him outside. Okay. I was, I was definitely never, looking back on it i don't think i was any faster or slower on the single speed i enjoyed it well memphis isn't a good isn't a good place to make that judgment well i did silomo on it um i did silomo's revenge in it and it was i mean i ran basically the same time as i did on gears yeah but the problem with silomo is and i found this like year to year to year to year the conditions change so much that well, so, I had very, I had similar fitness, and I had very similar conditions on the on the two years back to back. So, I mean, I know it's not a perfect analogy, but I was not significantly faster or significantly slower on either setup. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not just disagreeing with you. I mean, it's just for me, I think that it comes down to a few things. One, um, he asked about my ideal one by ten setup, and I think that my answer was I just like XX one more. Um, and due to some frame limitations, my frame is pretty old. It's like a 2012 frame, and it didn't have XX1 in mind. Uh, it might be a 2011 frame, actually. Um, it doesn't have XX1 in mind. So my bike's actually not compatible with XX1 cassettes. Um, when you install the XD driver and the 1042 uh, SRAM cassette and put the wheel on the bike, the wheel spins freely. Um, the tin tooth cog does not contact the frame, but when you put a chain on and shift to the tin, the, the chain makes contact with the frame in the tin tooth cog only. Um, so I'm running a, a hybrid where I have a, um, XX one shifter and XX one rear derailleur. I'm running a narrow wide chain ring and X one chain and an XT1142 cassette, and I've been really happy with that. Um, my favorite one by setup 
is really anything that is made to all work together. Now, I understand that I'm saying that I'm running an XT cassette with an XX1 system, but understand there's two parts of that. The, the spacing is the same, so the cassettes are interchangeable. And the other thing is the derailleur is designed to work with a 42-tooth cog. So I'm not a, I'm not overreaching the derailleur, and I'm not having to do any fredrification to the spacing issue. Like there's there's no issues. It's just put it all together, set it up, make it shift. So for me, I think that that's one of my favorites because um, I personally like the way the SRAM 11 speed stuff feels at the lever more than the uh, 11 speed XTR or XT. Um, if you go back to 10 speed, I prefer Shimano stuff there. Uh, right. I know I'm crazy as fuck, but, um, you're really not. I totally agree with you. I really like 10 speed though, only when it's real fucking 10 speed. So if you live somewhere that's hilly, you gotta be like two by 10, like XTR two by 10. No, I mean, if you live somewhere hilly, you just need to be like Kyle Taylor where you're just going fast all the time. You're 100 pounds and you put out 500 watts. Yeah, I mean, if you're able to go really fast all the time (laughs) where you can run like a 30, a 3-0 chain ring and an 11-36 cassette and just rock it all day long, cool. Um, Or if you live somewhere flat where you run like a 34 with an 11-36, cool. Run that 10-speed stuff. Stay with 10-speed. For me, the reason I really like the... Um, XT cassette with the 11 speed is because it lets me use the same free hub. So if worse comes to worse or something bad happens, I'm able to pretty quickly and easily move that rear wheel over to my cross bike, which is also running a, uh, you know, a, a disc brake, um, 29 er wheel with 135 by 10 spacing. Um, I mean, it's all really simple and all really good stuff. So, for me, I really like that, and especially if you already have nice shit where you don't want to have to buy a new free hub and and then a really expensive cassette. I mean, the XT cassette is just very affordable. You could pair that with like an X1 shifter and an X01 rear derailleur with an XT cassette and a and a Wolf Tooth chainring and then a Shimano or SRAM chain, and you, you wouldn't be out too terribly much because you're not dropping you know a metric ton of money on a driver. And then the expense of swapping that driver around and stuff. It's, it's much more accessible for that do it yourself, do it at home person. Uh, and it takes a lot of the guesswork out because if you have an OEM bike where sometimes finding free hubs is questionable because it's an OEM wheel and parts are sort of, eh, I don't really know what free hub that is because it's just a hub that says SRAM or whatever. Or if you have Shimano wheels, you can't get an XD driver. So it just works out a whole lot better. Um, I do wish that I had... Uh, if I could run an XX1 cassette, I would run a 28 chainring. Um, with the XT cassette, I'm going to just run 30s probably. I'll probably put some 28s on next spring. I think that there's some plans to do some 14ers, so I'll run a 28 or a 26 for those. But other than that, it's it's great. So. And I, I'm the opposite. I my my preferred shifting. I have um, XTR on the Mach Six, and I like 11 speed XTR. I think it shifts great. And I put a 1042 SRAM XO cassette uh, with that, and that's that's been my favorite setup. It is slightly more finicky than if I was using a straight up XTR cassette, um, but 
I mean, when I say slightly, I mean like sometimes on a ride, I have to twist the barrel adjuster. Like if I go through a puddle or something, it, you know, it might, it might just like for a minute or two not shift perfectly. Um, but it's definitely very, very, very usable. But, uh, you know, as long as you understand how a barrel adjuster works, um, and understand that, you know, like every three rides, you might have to twist it a little bit. Like you're, you're cool. You're going to be all right. Um, but that, that's how, that's the setup I like. And then to answer the question about how, uh, single speeders get faster is it all comes down to a few things. Uh, for me, I think that when you ride single speed and I think that cyclocross has helped me a lot with this as well. Um, but when you ride single speed, what you don't realize, or when you ride gears all the time and you ride everything, you don't learn how to mount or dismount and remount. Um, and if you've ever raced cross, then you're proficient at that. But if you're just a straight, you know, native only mountain bike person, then you don't have that mount or dismount remount in your, in your muscle memory. Um, when you start riding single speed, the first thing you do a bunch of times is your your thumb goes to shift and there's nothing there. And then you're like, shit, and you end up off the bike. So in that first few weeks and months of, and I would say if you're riding in the hills, in the first week, two weeks of riding single speed, you're going to learn mounting your bike again after you dismount. So that saves a bunch of time. If you And it doesn't seem like it, but over the course of a ride, if you flounder around, remounting your bike three or four times because it's just some gnarly hike a bike stuff that you can't ride on your geared bike you feel like a fish out of water but if you're riding a single speed where you're off the bike on the bike off the bike on the bike off the bike on the bike then you then you're really good at mounting and remounting the other thing is when you're on a single speed you have no pride in cleaning everything because you're going to ride to the end of your gear and you're going to dismount instantly and then you're going to Walk with your bike as fast as you're comfortable, and as soon as you think you can, you're going to remount and go again. You're really not going slower walking. You do get faster at walking the more you walk. The more you hike a bike, the better you get at it. And these things all come to a head where people end up doing this for their big races at some point. And the people that do that are generally fast because, let's face it, it's a big investment to take a single speed to a big race and try to go fast on it. You got to find the right gear. You got to hope the conditions are for the gear that you think is right. You got to hope that your fitness is for what you think is right. You got to pray that you don't have to poop. I mean, there's just like, <laughs> you, you don't have the ability to have a bad day. It's and way shift. worse. It's way worse when you have to poop and you're riding single speed. Yeah. If you're, if you have to poop and spend a hundred and spin at 110 RPM on the road, like it's just a, it's a terrible day. But um, what happens is these people, they become much more confident. And this goes back to, um, I think, what would be, uh, oh, shit. Um, no, stop doing that. Continue recording. <laughs> I was trying to, like, go listen to, a, like, find the first question. So this goes a lot to Greg's question about, like, how to be calm on race day. Like, I think a lot of people that race single speed have raced a lot. So they're already comfortable racing. They're comfortable getting on and off their bike. They're comfortable showing up and turning themselves inside out. And even having a sort of bad day and still doing okay because they've just had a lot of bad days. So even this bad day isn't their worst day ever. Um, and there's a lot of people that show up to races with gears, I think, as an experience. And those people aren't really prepared for maybe the dismount, remount, dismount, remount. And they, they start to get a little broke down because they're not used to walking their bike. And 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But for me, I think that the people that ride single speed aren't necessarily faster because they're on single speeds coming full circle to what Kenny started with. But um, they're just very fast people that are good racers, that are good bike riders, that are that are off the brakes and on the gas and also comfortable and confident off the bike and like hike a biking at full pace. Um, those, those are the people that show up to single speed races and blow you away. You don't notice the dude on a single speed that didn't finish or the dude on the single speed that like quit because that person was way behind you and you didn't see him. You notice the people on single speeds that are done and cleaned up and like their dirty bike is laying around when you roll in an hour later. So that's my take on it. Yeah. And it, it's good for you. You know, there, there are a few skills you learn physically. It's good for you mentally. You know, you rarely see like when you're, if you're on a hike a bike where everyone's got a hike a bike, the people, people with geared bikes, a lot of times, not all the times, but a lot of times you see these people with like their head down and they're walking as slow. I mean, barely one foot in front of the other. And they're just like, Oh, this is the worst thing ever. And like someone with a single speed, it's just kind of like, oh, whatever. It's just, it's another hike a bike. It's maybe a little longer or steeper or rockier or gnarlier than the other ones, but whatever. It's just one more hike a bike. And, you know, kind of going back to confidence and like comfort, um, I did a race this weekend, a cyclocross race that had a, except for maybe 10 people, no one rode it. Um, I mean, I said it. So most people didn't ride it. It was the Feedback Cup cyclocross race. Tim Allen of Feedback, he won the the elite pro race because he rode the run-up every lap. And it was nasty. I tried riding it in my pre-ride lap, and I was just like, yep, that ain't going to happen. Um, and every lap I went into it, and it was a – you went downhill. Um, how to, let's describe it. Let's back up and describe it. So you barely rode the this hill up, and then you went around a corner and you dove back down and then turned hard right, and then you couldn't ride up. And every lap it was hard, you know, fast descent, hard right run up. And I was like, man, this would be a really good place to know how to do drive side dismounts. And that was like lap three. And I came through on lap four, and there was no traffic. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to dismount driveside this time and see if it's any faster. And, like, <laughs> I haven't done a driveside dismount this year. And I did it. And you know what happened? Um, it was it was kind of faster. Um, and then I ran up it, and, like, at the top, I jumped on and rode away. And I'm not just saying that I'm like the shit. I'm just saying that like I'm pretty comfortable and confident at remounting my bike. So jumping off the other side, I wasn't worried about jumping off the wrong or the the drive side of my bike. I just did it to see if it was any faster. And it was, and I was like, hmm, it'd be kind of cool if I was a little bit smoother at this because I could do it like fast as shit. And then like, it'd be sick. And I was like, meh, it's not that important. And like, I just kept riding. So, um... Again, going full story, circle, bro. a lot of those people on single speeds are just people that are comfortable riding the shit out of bikes, whether they be high-end bikes or low-end bikes or geared bikes or not geared bikes. Like, um, Again, I think a lot of it goes to these people have, have ridden for a while, and, and everything now is nice to them. Um, I mean, gosh, my first bike was 
in retrospect, like if I saw my first bike now, I would just be like, holy shit. Baby fucking whales, Jay. <laughs> I'd be like, what were those tires and how skinny were those bars and why did I have juicy ultimate brakes and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, just ride your bike and have fun. That's all that matters. Yeah. Is that all of our questions? That's all of our questions. That's cool. I'm going to Fruita this weekend. That's cool. Yeah, work trip. Yeah, whatever. I work at a bike shop where the manager's like, everyone needs to, everyone should ride together every now and then. So we're going to close up shop early on Saturday, close up shop on Sunday, and the shops are already closed on Monday. So we're uh, we're just going to close up for a few days and uh, go to Fruita. Everyone, you know, all the employees are invited. It's uh, like most expenses paid. It's awesome. Elevation Cycles, great place to work. I hate you. <laughs> well, there's so many people at Wheat Ridge, that's kind of impossible. Yeah. What do you think, Kenny? You're prompt to be here next week? Uh, it might. I don't know. Let's see. I think you should put on a flame suit and your full face helmet and, and ride around in circles on it. <laughs> on fire. If everything goes really well, maybe I'll get it like Friday. Cool. I don't know. Maybe I'll have it and be able to talk about it for next show. I really don't know. I mean, supposedly I think it got shipped today, but I don't know where it's coming from. If it's like already stateside or if it's like got a ride on a boat um, or what's going on with it. So no telling. Sweet. But regardless, yeah, I won a Brompton. Kind of, kind of <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I can't wait. Kenny's going to have the only Brompton with 700 millimeter bars on it. <laughs> I'm already thinking about all kinds of wacko stuff I can do, like how big tires I can fit on it. Like, do they make 16 by 2.3? I don't know. So, uh, so BMX World is going to be your friend there. Okay, but what's the what's the deal? Like youth BMX bikes or something? It's just the bleed over because like what? Okay, so here's the deal. Imagine me if I wasn't as clean cut right so if i had raced bmx and ridden bmx as a as a youth and then like if i had a seven-year-old kid as a 27 year old i would want like some sick tires for my kid's bike and that's where you start to see that stuff bleed in like the the kids that get the kids that get like fancy tires for their 16 inch kid's bike are the same kids that wear like size four slip-on vans because like, because that's what dad wears. Exactly. So um, <laughs> you're gonna run into maybe not at 16, but you might find some stuff that's that's more just uh, matching dad, if you will. But uh, there might be some cool stuff there. I'll keep an eye out for sure. We'll, and also, uh, uh, the 16, 18 inch like mini BMX bikes are are really coming around. So um, they're realizing that nine year old kids don't need 20 inch bikes. So they're making better stuff in 18 and 16 inch size. So, but, but for sure, I'm gonna try. I might have to like remove fenders and all that kind of stuff. But I'm definitely gonna really see because I'm a huge advocate of high volume tires. I think they're just awesome. Not that they're that small on there. I think they're maybe like 35s or 37s uh, from the factory. But they're 16s, so that's you know all of a sudden it's not quite not quite as big. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Could be cool. Cool, man. Well, uh, keep us in the loop and let us know. Uh, if you don't see it by next week, I'm sure we'll have something else to talk about. Yeah. Rock and roll. Is there anything else we need to add? 
Um, no, I think we, yeah, we, we've been going for over an hour, I think. So I think we're good. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode of just riding along brought to you by Andrea having other plans or being busy or whatever I said at the beginning. Um, (laughs) and, uh, a special thanks to all of our listeners, uh, past, present and future contributors to the show. Um, and all the good emails that come in, whether they're asking new questions so we can give advice or, or the follow-up emails where we say we've helped you. Those those really go a long way. So send in your questions to info at mountainbikeradio.com. Um, if you have any any uh, any extra doll hairs you want to send over, you can go to jrashow.com, and there's a contribute button there with some uh, some recommended values uh the big one's always good so if you have any questions send them in if not stay tuned for next episode thanks for listening good night